Hi, I'm Suzanne Dudley, and this is the Power Up Your Sales podcast by Behavioral Sciences Research Press. This episode is the first of a two-part series with Marion Iliohan. Marion is a certified financial planner and a management and transition strategy coach for financial advisors. She worked for one of Canada's largest and oldest financial planning companies for 33 years until her retirement at the beginning of 2020. She spent the first 17 years of her career building and managing a financial planning practice. After that, she moved to the head office where she was an instrumental part of developing practice management and training programs for advisors and leadership teams. If you happen to be in financial services, you're in for a special treat. If you're in another field, stay tuned and see how her advice transcends industries. So Marion, when we spoke before the podcast, we talked about how salespeople need to be constantly selling, but so do financial services practice owners, and so does any business owner for that matter. And that seems kind of obvious when we're sitting here talking about it and laying it out on the table like that, but it doesn't happen like that. So so what happens? How does uh, selling lose its priority position over time? Oh, that's a really interesting question. And it's, you know, it's a dilemma that a lot of advisors and I would suggest salespeople in general um, have an issue with. I think part of it comes from, and of course, I've been in the industry for a long time. So everybody, primarily in financial services that I've been associated with, um, you are uh, responsible for gathering and acquiring your own clients. So initially, when you build a career, you're out there, you're busy, you're gathering people, you're gathering assets. Um, And then after a while, you reach a certain ceiling of complexity within your practice. And what happens is now you're spending your time on servicing. And you service and you service and you get caught up in the day to day. I'll say, I'll call it a grind of the practice, because so many people right now with Uh, the regulators there, the documentation. I mean, the industry has changed so much over the years. So we just really get bogged down in the day-to-day business operations. And then um, my experience has been when I was working with financial advisors is that they would get roughly, um, if they had a book of about 250 to 300 households, they'd get roughly about 12 referrals a year. And we'd kind of joke and say they were accidental referrals. <laughs> I call it doing the dance. Gee, Susie, if you know somebody, anybody that could benefit from meeting with me, would you mind sending them my way? Right, right. Um, as opposed to the referral being an actual sales presentation again. So I think that's primarily what's happened. And these are successful advisors who are now just stuck and they realize that they have to continue to build their books. So when that happens, um, like I'm, I'm thinking right now, pandemic, you know, we're all in a position where um, most industries uh, revenue has shrunk very quickly. 
And so I um, imagine that uh, the light is shining on a lot of organizations right now who did the same thing. You know, you build your book and then you get stuck in the grind. And I can completely relate to that. (laughs) And, you know, um, the focus on selling um, just seemed like something you would do when you had time because the stuff was coming in and you're selling by accident and getting referrals by accident um, over time. So, um now there's a pandemic. So how do those advisors um, re, refocus? Because the regulatory stuff isn't going away. Um, you know, COVID will go away eventually, but it's not going away today. So, so how do we um, refocus? And, you know, just what does that take um, uh, from, from your perspective? You know, I've been talking to a lot of people, advisors, since you and I last talked to find out because I'm sitting here and I'm not out there prospecting the same as others. But what everybody is telling me is that it's actually been refreshing for them in the fact that they are now, along with their team members, taking a step back to focus on and take another look at their book of business, take another look at their clients. They're, they have a bit more time now to do, you know, the client segmentation strategies, to define their client service um, strategies, to talk about, and you and I talked about it, and it's in the book Relentless as well, the mission statement, you know, their why. Why are they in business? Um, you know, Stephen Senek has a great book out on the why and how to really develop that. So they're taking that time. The other thing is they are, and some of the diehards who've been in the business for, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years and more are now uh, getting quite excited about the prospects of being able to use social media. Um, This week alone, I've had, well, last week I had two invitations to video, um, sessions, uh, client sessions, I've attended a video conference, and people are getting excited about that. And they're seeing how their clients are readily adapting to using technology as well. Um, There's one advisor, if I can just tell a quick story, um, he's up in a more northern area here in Canada. Um, It's still a small city. But he realized um, last year at some point in time that he just couldn't possibly be traveling out to all these communities. So he got himself a bunch of iPads, had them specially programmed, and he couriers them out to his clients. And he's got elderly clients, and that's how he's conducting meetings. And uh, the last I spoke to him, his clients were telling other people that weren't his clients, hey, this is a great thing. So as hard as COVID is for everybody, Um, I think, I believe the outcome is going to be that advisors have a better handle on what their practice is, who their ideal client is, um, learning to use social media and technology in more proactive ways so that they can free up more time to build their practice because money's always in motion. People are coming, they're going, people are dying unfortunately you know people change their minds so it's it's an ongoing process but I think this is a time of renewal for a lot of them with their practice 
So um, you talk about the social selling, and I think that's an awesome story with the with the iPads and uh, and a great idea. Um, do you think that when say COVID is over, there's some point in time where it's quote unquote back to normal? Do you think those advisors are going to revert back and you know ditch the iPads and go? back to what they were doing? Or do you say see them staying in this uh, maybe hybrid space where they're doing face-to-face sometimes and then virtual sometimes? I believe it's going to be a combination of both. But I also firmly believe, because so many advisors are telling me, and I witness it here as well at home because my husband's a financial advisor, I hear clients saying, this is really great. We don't have to get in our cars. We don't have to be stuck in traffic. We don't have to go to an office and you don't have to get stuck in traffic. So, you know, I I believe that maybe the initial uh, appointments and any new appointments are going to be the face-to-face, be it in someone's home or in the office. But then after that, people will use technology just because it's convenient and it's easy and people are getting used to talking to one another and uh, communicating with with one another as well via video conference. Right. And that's it's interesting. That's all that's kind of unanimously what we're hearing. Um, And there was, I think, some early on in the pandemic, some um, hypotheses that we're never going back to the old way. You know, everything's going to be online all the time. We're never going to travel again. The travel industry is, you know, done. <laughs> um, but that's that's what we're hearing now because, you know, you're saying you're on calls um, uh, all morning today. And, you know, I've been on them all day long and I do get sick and tired of that and then want the human interaction at some point, you know, just being in the same space. Um so I don't think I agree with you. I don't think it's going to go away permanently. And um, yeah, the having that initial conversation face to face and then doing that follow up, because the fact is, I think a lot of organizations are finding that, um, well, they can't travel. So, of course, they're going to save in that that budget line. Um, but I think we've all been forced to look at how important it was to do as much traveling. And uh, I know a lot of salespeople are saying that they're not spending as much time um, at the airport or stuck in traffic, like you were saying, and they are able to book so many more appointments um, and, and make so many more calls because of that. So I think that that's kind of been the blessing in disguise um, in the middle of all this. So let me ask you another question. Um, we spoke before the podcast and I asked you the question about what was the biggest issue in financial services practices from your point of view that the practice owners were facing. And you mentioned succession planning. So can you um, just tell me uh, what what that is? Explain that to us. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's a big issue because right now, both in Canada and the U.S., I think about 40% of financial advisors are over the age of 50. So when you take that and you start to multiply it out, we are an aging demographic when it comes to financial um, advisors, financial planners. So succession planning is key. And of course, I've witnessed it. The advisors that I've worked with have witnessed it where clients are saying, what happens if you're not here, um, what happens when you're gone? And I would like to say that part of it could be succession, but the other is because of aging, it's also what happens if you get sick? What happens if you're suddenly die? 
you're, you're gone. What happens to us, the client? Because that's what they're concerned about. And for advisors not to be able to communicate to their client what their continuity plan is, either for themselves or any of their team members, in case there's death, disability, illness, um, you know, they're really doing themselves a disservice. And also to be able to communicate to clients and reassure them that there is a long term. And when I talk about succession planning, and there are, you know, well known authors both in the US and Canada that talk about succession planning. You know, it's it's a 10, eight-year process. It's not something that you can just start and implement your plan the next day. And the other reason it's critical, and I've seen it time and time again with, with teams, where there'll be a team member who's perhaps been an associate. They're not the lead advisor. They're not the original um, uh, practice, what do I want to say, founder, if you will. Um, who feels that just because they've been servicing clients, they have the right to be able to have the ability to purchase. And that's what happens. There is a transition of clients through the sale of the assets or the book of clients, whatever it happens to be. And that takes a lot of money. So where is that money going to to come from because anybody taking over, you know, a larger book of business, even a small, in these days, you need an assistant, you need associates, maybe one, maybe two. There's one advisor I'm working with right now has four assistants, uh, two advisors that are looking at retiring in the next three years as part of that team. So you have to be able to find someone who is a builder. Somebody who can go out there, and I'll use old terminology, the hunter, the gatherer, you know, that person that will go out there and prospect. And unfortunately, a lot of the new advisors, both in Canada, I can say, I can speak for Canada, I'm not sure in the US, but I've been to conferences in the US, where the new advisors coming in or financial planners, they haven't witnessed the culture of client acquisition for those similar to what people who've been in the industry, these senior practitioners did when they first started door knocking seminars, you know, cold calling. Um, these new advisors don't see this. So what they see is referrals coming in. So they're not part of that whole culture of prospecting. So I may have gone around it a little bit, but what's really key for somebody who's thinking about succession planning is finding that team member could be a new one who's got that building and builder mindset. And that builder mindset, as we all know, is prospecting. Um, The top advisors, both in Canada and the U.S., they're consummate prospectors. They just don't stop. They're doing it every day. They carve out time every day to prospect. So that's why, you know, when I talk to advisors about succession planning, they really need to start to think in terms of who is that builder and what are the attributes and the mindset um, that that person would have around building a practice, not just taking one over. You know, the, and I'll switch that old terminology from hunting to client acquisition, which, uh, which, which it really is. And, you know, this is a very proud profession And we need to be really proud of the work that we do. But you've talked about salespeople a few times. Um, I've mentioned it. And when I was doing training 
for new advisors coming in to the business, I would say to them, because, you know, they'd look at their business cards and why can't I be called a financial planner and so on and so on. And I said, well, really, because what you are are salespeople, um, you generate your income through client acquisition and client acquisition comes from getting out there and meeting as many people as you can to really offer the value of financial planning advice. And we know that that's of good value. So, you know, here I am talking about the value of financial planning advice, which again ties back to mission, your vision and your value proposition, which are all things that, again, going back to what we talked about with COVID is a great time for advisors to be really um, taking another look at because what that will help them to do is to understand who is their client demographic, the client psychographics, and from that start to develop what their marketing plan is going to be. And once they've got their marketing plan, they can begin to initiate the prospecting that goes along with that client acquisition so that they're target marketing. And that's what a lot of the financial top financial advisors do. They know who they want to be working with. They know who they can best serve. So um, again, mission, vision, value statement are uh, all a good time to review at this point in time. So let me ask you this. Um, How have you seen that change over the years? So like a new, um, a new financial advisor, say, starting a practice in the 2000s versus one starting a practice right now, is the prospecting and the selling process different than it used to be? I would say the sales process really hasn't changed, but I'll put a caveat around that because I know you talk in the book, too, about, you know, relationship selling and so on. And there is the relationship side to things, but there's also having the knowledge and everything that goes along with it. I would say that there's a lot, our clients are much more educated, more intuitive than in the past when this industry was at its grass, uh, grassroots 30 years ago. Um, but the, the marketing and That's when the new people coming in, and I really don't know how anybody new is doing it right now if they're depending on social media. What I observed um, prior to uh, leaving the company I was with through retirement, um, when we were doing training, um, the new advisors coming in, they were relying on social media. Um, They were referring to people as friends, and yet other than through social media, They had no other way to connect with these people. They didn't have phone numbers. Um, You know, they text one another. So, and they're very good at it. And that's how that generation connects. It's for people like myself, who've been around a long time, had to wrap our head around it and get scolded by our adult kids to say, look, enough is enough. And if you do reach out more than three times, that's stalking. So, you know, there, there are your limits. So I think it behooves all of us who've been around for a long time and are in positions of training or coaching or mentoring people to really understand that the whole industry and sales in general has has changed. It's evolved and it's up to us to change and evolve with them. And that's what I really appreciate about your testing. Um, And 
you know, it's, it's that mindset that you have at that point in time about client acquisition or prospecting and how you've uh, move forward with it as well to include things like social media to, you know, you broke it down a little bit more. But one thing that I have to say about prospecting and where BSRP has really helped me, I think I went through your program in 2009. It was a long time ago. It <laughs> but it was a wake up call and it just doesn't go away because if And when you are aware of where you could trip up when it comes to prospecting and you can acknowledge it and you can kind of laugh at yourself, you can dust yourself off and get up and do it again. Um, And, you know, we, we hear about picking up the phone and cold calling, cold calling is done. We can't do that because of do not call um, other than business to business. But there are still people that need to make. So for example, going back to teams and succession planning, if somebody is hiring a team member that's supposed to do servicing and the servicing is reached reaching out by picking up the phone and calling and they can't do that, that's an issue. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I've seen it and I've tried to coach to it. So, you know, it's the awareness yourself of, where you can improve, what areas of prospecting you can improve on. If you're good in certain areas, well, then by all means, capitalize on it. And if there's areas where you're kind of in the middle, such as social media, LinkedIn, um, there's an opportunity to learn um, how you can reach out and recommit and the different ways that you can go about reaching new people. And, you know, as I watch a few of the teams that I'm Uh, working with and have awareness of social media. Like I said, I got invitations last week and this week to uh, seminars and they're just, they come in from random companies that I'm following or people that I'm following. And it's like, Hey, this is pretty cool. I don't have to leave the house. It's lunchtime. I could eat my lunch while I'm watching somebody. So again, there's huge opportunities, I believe right now um, in really rethinking and restructuring the practice moving forward. So um, when somebody starts to consider succession planning and you're talking about an eight to 10 year process uh, because it does not happen overnight, uh, what specific skills does the practice owner need to look for in an individual or individuals that may uh, someday be their successor? Um, I mean, is it, is it the, the same for everybody? Is there a a core skill that they need to look for? And once they identify somebody, uh, what do they do to keep that person engaged for what could be maybe five more years or eight more years? How do they do that? Oh, that's a big question. (laughs) A very big question. Um, You know, it all has to start with actually doing a team assessment. Um, you know, really understanding the different team members, um, having those conversations with them to find out, you know, what do they like to do, what they don't like to do. And that's sometimes people don't want to talk about what they don't like to do, but it's the reality um, to really focus in on people's strengths and if there's opportunities for them to develop some new skills so that we're talking about career aspirations. And, you know, a lot of the people that I've worked with and financial advisors, they're used to doing this with clients, but you got to do it with your own team as well. 
So from there, using some of the tools that are available out there, there's different um, profiles that check for attributes. There's different profiles that check for, you know, are you are you up and getting quick to start and so on. Um, and then the other one, of course, is, which is why I like yours and I'm making plugs for, for your SBQ <laughs> Gold, um, because it's the one that really checks on attitudes about prospecting and getting in front of people. Um, so again, assess your, your people, um, uh, do some testing in ways that you can bring the team together so that everybody understands the goal. And then the team together needs to really think in terms of what is the vision for this team? Um, what's our value proposition? And then based on that, um, then you can really start to figure out you know, are people going to retire and leave as well? But what are the skill sets we need to have coming forward? And I would bet that the one that's going to take over probably is not existing within the practice right now, um, that they're going to have to go external to find that someone that has that entrepreneurial mindset that understands that they need to have some growth. And it takes a long time to find that person, but it also takes a long time to integrate those people into the practice, usually about three years okay. um, for clients to start calling them. So it's not, it's, it really is a team-based approach that, in my opinion, that an advisor has to take. Okay. So, um, then you're, you're recommending, if I understand correctly, that if I'm a practice owner uh, and I'm thinking, okay, I want to I retire in 10 to 12 years, say, uh, and I have this great team and we're all rocking along together really well, what I really need to look for is somebody, you know, 10 years younger than me or so, um, whose values kind of align well with mine and has their own team that's kind of rocking along well too, kind of in the same direction and maybe our missions are well aligned in order to take those two teams and um, assimilate them together smoothly. Is that what you're saying? That happens. Yes and no. Um, that happens in some cases where you'll get teams coming together. Um, and then other times it's that smaller practice that may have three or four different team members um, that that person's going to, to succeed or can't say succeed, although succession, part of it is succeed, right? Um, who's going to be transitioning out of the practice. But it also, you know, once you understand your team, and sometimes we don't give team members the credit or the opportunity because a lot of um, advisors started off as a sole practitioner and giving up and delegating is really hard to do sometimes. Yes. So, Maybe there is that person in the team that you now have to provide that opportunity to go. Maybe they've never had to go out and do any, have any part in client acquisition or prospecting. Now you can show them how it's done because again, top advisors know how it's done and now it's to show them. Um, you know, one advisor I was working with, um, the hired a, a new associate who like eat, sleeps, and dreams, marketing and prospecting, no fear. And I said to the advisor, just get out of her way. 
Like <laughs> you've got your own hangups. Get out of her way because she's she's got social media. She's got all that figured out. Um, plus, she's a good planner as well. So you know, sometimes those people are just the hidden gems in your practice, and you need to help them move along as well. Or get out of their way. (laughs) Or get out of their way, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, Marion and I will get out of your way. Join us next time for the second of this two-part series. See you then. 